When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Real Vision Crypto. I'm Ash Bennington. Very pleased to have with me today, Steve Kurtz, Head of Global Asset Management at Galaxy Digital to talk about institutional investing in the digital asset space. Steve, welcome to Real Vision Crypto. Hey, Ash. Thanks so much for having me. Glad to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here. Steve, before we get started, tell us a little bit about your background before you went to Galaxy Digital. Yeah, sure. Well, it's, it's, it ties to crypto in a way. And I guess uh, I'll start with Mike Novogratz, our, our founder of Galaxy. I, I have two things to thank Mike for uh, in my life. The first is introducing me to Bitcoin, which we'll talk about. Um, and the second <laughs> is hiring me to Fortress Investment Group um, from a firm called Lehman Brothers on September 11th of 2008. So four days before the world as we knew it at the time ended. Uh, so I, I would say my, my path has been through the sell side in Lehman, um, which was which was interesting and, and happy to talk about it. Uh, a good solid 10 years or so in the hedge fund space, uh, both at a large platform, uh, Fortress Investment Group, and then building from the bottom up a credit shop called River Birch, uh, and then most recently before Galaxy in 2017, I actually left finance to start a virtual reality company and, and do some angel investing in the tech space. So that's been my sort of path is finance to tech and now somewhere in between, depending on where you want to bucket uh, crypto and digital assets. Yeah, that's really the key question, isn't it? How we think about it, how do we understand it? Give us a sense of what you guys do uh, at Galaxy Digital and also how you begin to think about these asset classes. It's interesting because I know that you guys are in a sort of a wide variety of different businesses now in the digital asset space. How do you think about it? It's a great question. And I, I think the way that we think about it today is fairly consistent with how we thought about it in 2017 when we started the company. Uh, much has changed with the underlying asset class, of course. But for instance, we did always think of it as an asset class. We did always think of it as a foundational base layer technology. We were never caught up in some of the crypto native fiefdom wars of one coin versus another. We always saw this as a tech revolution. And, and particularly, we saw it as a tech revolution that started with retail uh, that didn't know what it didn't know about how it could grow and scale and, and access all the different pockets of capital and, and express itself in the world. And we thought our business model, when we, we really set out to do this in 2017 with eight of us, um, was geared towards being that translation layer. And that's, you know, that's hard work. That's education at scale. Um, that's, you know, setting standards and, and foregoing commercial opportunities uh, because you need to adhere to those standards. And it's a real patience that you have to have in, in a warp speed uh, space, which which crypto is. And so, so what we do is we have, uh, you know, in the traditional world, you'd say sort of a sell side and a buy side business construct, which isn't that exciting. You know, we're the Goldman and the Blackstone of crypto together. But as we're evolving the business, we really think of ourselves as multiple platforms. We've got a mining platform. 
We've got a trading and intermediary platform. We've got an asset management platform. Uh, and so each of those are going to serve different client bases. We invest in the space off of our balance sheet. And I think that what you need to really help this space move forward uh, on a global basis is to have uh, that ambitious broad reach because it is about staying power and being capitalized and expressing this into different pockets of the world. And so that's what we're trying to do. We've never been narrow or, or vertical with our business. We've never been narrow or vertical with our view of what crypto is. And so when people talk about Galaxy, it seems like this uh, in some ways can be confusing, but really what we're trying to do is right. expand that reach and, and educate and, and give access at scale. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, we were talking off camera a little bit about how this asset class uh, is this interesting mashup between the technology uh, and the financial investing component. You call that this use the phrase translation layer. Tell us what that means to you. Well, I think it means different things to different constituencies. Uh, you know, we, we, we tend to think of the world and, and, and perhaps the crypto community thinks of the world in a in a somewhat myopic way, right? There's there's the retail participants, there's uh, there's wealth platforms, there's allocators, there's service providers, there's regulators. Each of those different communities speaks a different language. And right. contrary to what anyone might say, I don't think there are bad people in one bucket or the other. There are some bad and some good. But generally, I think, um, particularly because what crypto is is so different and so confusing, people yeah. will have legacy mental models, Maybe someone came to them early and, and, and put a bug in their ear the wrong way. And you really have to take a, a thoughtful, patient approach to each of them. The way that you need to speak the regulator's language is perhaps different than how you talk to a large public pension, different than how you talk to a hedge fund that wants to trade with you. And so I think calibrating those messages and um, you know, really fitting into the communication structures of each of them. You know, yeah. A hedge fund's gonna wanna talk to you every day about the market texture. A pension's gonna wanna frame it in the context of asset allocation and what their board is thinking about. A consultant's gonna to wanna to look at operational due diligence for a digital bearer asset. Regulators wanna make sure that the consumer is protected through their definition of consumer protection. And so I think each of those, when I say translation layer, you have to have a strategy. You have to have people that are pulling it all together and making sure that our view of what's happening here and what the promise of that is, is, being, is authentic and then is being expressed into each of those pockets in a calculated, specific way in order to move each of those balls forward. Yeah, you know, the fascinating thing about the space, to me at least, uh, is that those things have never been done before. So you don't have, there are no experts. There's no person who can kind of like, who knows every aspect of that space and how it all fits together. If you think of the of the hedge fund space, for example, you know, someone like Mike, who's run a fund for many years, could tell you a little bit about every area of the business. But in this space, there really aren't like no one individual who who's, who has managed to understand all of that because it's never been integrated before. Well, it's not just the lack of understanding, and you're right that it hasn't been integrated by its nature. In a way, uh, crypto can be analogized to the to the internet, um, and and I think right. people expect on the other side of the table that we as Galaxy will will defend all of crypto. My reaction is, why would we defend all of crypto? Just like you don't defend everything that happens on the internet. This is by its nature right. open source. What we're supposed to do is say, hey, this is the stuff that goes in the garbage bin. This is the stuff that is here and now to be paid attention to, engaged with, invested in. Here's what's coming that's really interesting that will be a part of the, the puzzle tomorrow. 
and let's let's explore each of those buckets over the the course of that time frame uh, that it takes for that to evolve to. So I, I I agree there needs to be, and I think the crypto community, to be honest, can do a better job of that. Uh, I think working together, uh, assuming positive intent in some of the conversations that that we are all having is going to go a long way. And I think a dose of humility uh, would go a long way as well in terms of uh, some of what you see come out of our space. Uh, although I'll probably get hit for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting because it's also just so early as you talk about uh, how to integrate this thing, how to understand uh, what is going on in this space. Again, just so early. Let's talk a little bit about your role, Global Head of Asset Management. Uh, what does that mean? What is the job function? And how do you think about what you do? Well, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a phenomenal question because when, when we started the company, we said, let's have an asset management business. And then it's, we sort of said, well, what do we do next? You know, what, is, what does that mean is exactly the right question. Um, you know, at the time, it was it was more of the Wild West than it is today. So for the last four years, it's different than the job was different than what the next four years will look like. The last right. four years was about um, setting standards and building comfort and familiarity around the asset class and and all the aspects of, of what go into uh, institutional fund management. So the first thing we did was we created the Bloomberg Galaxy crypto index with Bloomberg on the view that, you know, the, the exchange uh, inputs, uh, the methodology, yeah. uh, the auditing of the methodology, all of the things that can go into a benchmark index haven't been done in crypto. Let's yeah. start by defining the space and building taxonomy and language that we all think about consistently. By the way, this was a huge story at the time when you guys released yeah. that with Bloomberg. I was at uh, actually uh, at Coindesk in 2017, and we yeah. were actually looking at this and thinking about how to do this. The idea that there weren't references uh, for the asset classes as a general proposition, hugely problematic thing at the time. Huge. And it was also a period of time where um, even the exchanges weren't operating like exchanges. They were making so much money that uh, they didn't really care about any of that. We, we had to actually call the exchanges and say, take Bloomberg's call. I mean, think about that in the context of what the long term Im impact of, of real data means. And so I, I feel like we had an impact there. I feel like Bloomberg was was early and we've, we've built that suite out. And that's that's great. There, there are also huge swings in uh, in in Delta the, between basically the, the Delta between uh, different exchanges. You can see products uh, trading. You can see Bitcoin at, at 5% uh, Delta's uh, across exchanges. This is a really wild time in terms of pricing. When we spoke to institutional investors or consultants at the time, we were honest about where the space was. We didn't say right. you should you should put five percent or ten percent of your you know your, your 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 money into this space because it's too early. We did say you should be following it and you should start with a small piece here. But here are the challenges, and another challenge. So data was one, and that was something we worked on. Obviously, custody another, but really the service provider ecosystem. And this is not the sexy stuff that the crypto community wants to talk about. We had to treat the service providers, the real blue chips, the you know the Deloitte's, the KPMG's, ENY, uh, et cetera like clients. We probably had 40 meetings with each of those going through all the committees for the privilege of them auditing our fund, you know, or, or, or whatever, whatever it was. And, and that, you know, that doesn't get you AUM today, but I do think it moves the ball forward for the space. I think now here, here we are close to 3 billion in AUM with 15 or 20 funds. And when you look back on that body of work in terms of putting together the pieces of the puzzle, I think where we sit is in a privileged spot because people understand that that was with the intention, the mission of bringing the space forward. Uh, and it was sort of a long-term greedy approach in the sense that we weren't trying to right. capture a spread. We were trying to build an ecosystem. And right. so that when you translate that looking forward, what's my job? My job is 
for the institutional allocators, for the wealth platforms, for the retail pockets of the world to build institutional grade products and to be the first global platform that offers everything from the spectrum of passive to multi-manager to hedge fund to venture exposures in the crypto space. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, so let's jump into that. There are a lot of ways to slice and dice it. First of all, uh, talk a little bit about whose money you're managing. Uh, is this just external clients? Are you managing a proprietary book? Give us a sense of yeah. what that looks like. So we're, we're unique as Galaxy. We do have we have a principal investments business that lives on our balance sheet. Uh, we are a public company, uh, and then we've got an asset management business that, of course, you know, as you'd expect, is a registered investment advisor and, and operates, uh, you know, that way and at that level. And I think the way that we've we've thought about it historically is that uh, the balance sheet has a broad investing mandate, and from that, as the space evolves, which it has dramatically in the last eighteen months, when and 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 how we're able to think about uh, uh, ring fencing and packaging, thoughtful uh, third-party uh, fund solutions and strategies, we will be able to effectively port those from our, our balance sheet and into the asset management business and grow those with third-party partners. So if you look at our $3 billion in AUM today, we've got everything from endowments and foundations uh, to fund of funds investors to family offices. Uh, we've gone through consultant processes. We're engaged with large pensions. So it looks very similar for the first time ever to my job 10 years ago. Um, mm. And then what I think is going to happen is we, as we continue to bring in talent and expand the offering, uh, which I can talk about if you like, um, you're going to see that crossover uh, of strategies from our balance sheet into the asset management business. And that, um, that broad uh, palette of offerings, A, hasn't been offered to large institutions, and B, right. I think is the only way a large sovereign can put 500 million bucks or 250 million bucks to work in a risk managed top-down allocation uh, fashion that will work for their committees. Uh, and that's the next phase of the, uh, of the evolution of the space, I think. So Steve, when you get a phone call from like a sovereign wealth fund and they say to you, I know I need to put money to work in this space, I haven't the faintest idea of how to even begin to think about what that means. What's the first thing you tell them? Oh man, it happens. It happens all the time. Um, the first thing that I tell them is that um, the way that they think about their process in other contexts is not going to serve them well in crypto. And then the question is, why not? And and the point is because there are so many different pieces and use cases in crypto because of the volatility, because of the regulatory, because there's no bucket. It makes no sense for someone who's overseeing alternatives or a hedge fund bucket or you know, an inflation hedge overlay to try to predict where their investment committee or their CIO is going to land on this when they go through six months of diligence. That's just the wrong um, sequencing. What we encourage these large allocators to do is to actually reverse it. Let's have a, let's have a meeting with your committee now, and not for the purpose of being commercial or selling you a fund. Let's 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 air the let's air the crypto conversation. Let's let them ask the stupid questions. Let's ask them. Let them ask the smart questions. Let's get through the what is it, why does it need to exist so that we can talk right. about how it fits in a portfolio. If you don't do that, and we've seen that 
many times you get through the washing machine because six months forward, you've done the diligence. Oh my God, now there's an entirely new category of crypto or the market's gone down 30% or it's tripled and now we're buying at the highs. So the psychology and the construct right. don't match the process. And so we need to help them uh, adjust and tweak the process to make it make sense for what this asset class is today. So Steve, how does that conversation go? What do you first tell the investment committee when they're just struggling to get their head around even the, the 50,000 foot overlay of what's happening? I, I've, I've tried very hard to, to think about what to tell them and, and what I've fallen to after probably 2,000 of these meetings over the last four years is really let's just let's have it be an open session. Let's let's everyone has a starting point for crypto and everyone right. on the committee has a different starting point for crypto. Instead of talking into a vacuum, really, we should open it up and hear what that starting point is. And we'll meet you where you are. If we right. have to present, I think what we need to do, and I think this is a broader crypto point, we need to bucket things out so that people understand it's not all a Bitcoin story because that's what right. uniformly comes up. Bitcoin and ICOs. Those are the two things. You got to talk about the creator economy. You got to talk about DeFi. You've got to talk about Web3. You've got to talk about digital gold. Stable coins and, and payments are an important category. And, and really just spending 15 minutes bucketing those out and right. saying where they overlap and where they don't overlap is a, is a strong start because then you can force people to ask more targeted, um, uh, calibrated questions as opposed to, I hate this, why, why does it exist? There's no cash flows, which is not a good start to the conversation. Well, Steve, you teed it up beautifully. So what are those high-level buckets? What's the taxonomy look like? And what's that just the, the overall map of the landscape? Well, it's, it's changed so fast. I think um, to, to talk about today, I want to talk first about the COVID catalyst, because really what happened is um, you had this 2017, 2018 moment for crypto, and all the eyes were on crypto, and then it went down 95%. And the, you know, having lived down 100 at Lehman, you know, down 95 is, is worse. Down 100, you're dead. You can move on. Down 95, uh, am I alive? Is my heart beating? Should I be alive? You know, it's, it's, it's a very disorienting place to be. Uh, and, and it happened when everyone was watching. And so that was very uh, joyful for those that hated crypto. Uh, it was very painful for those who love crypto. And I think the subsequent years after that uh, crypto crash were very uh, important for fundamental and, and institutional build reasons, market infrastructure reasons. But you still didn't have that catalyst. What, what, what's, the, what's the product market fit for crypto in the context of investment portfolios? And COVID changed all of that. And it changed all of that because you had a digitization trend that met an inflation right. trend, and you had an asset in Bitcoin that did both. Bitcoin is both an inflation hedge and it's a growth asset. Why on earth wouldn't you put 50 bips into your portfolio in Bitcoin at that time was the question that you'd ask. And once that started to work, which it did, the market evolved so rapidly that the person who was skeptical of Bitcoin at an institution within six months was begging for more information about Ethereum. And, and, and then by the time that happened, DeFi summer had hit. Oh my God, what's DeFi? Then you had you know, DAOs and NFTs. And so the pace, uh, because crypto is composable uh, and, 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 and is nonlinear in its growth curve, the pace of the growth of the taxonomy of the space in the last 18 months has been profound. And I think that you know, the way to talk about it today has to be respectful of that nonlinear curve, because in a year, it may not, it may not be what it is today. And so broadly speaking, you know, we think about this kind of as our indices would suggest. So we have a large cap crypto index 
that captures uh, the big thematic buckets, right? That capture uh, the Ethereum's, uh, the Bitcoins, and some of the other stuff as we move into layer one, layer two discussions. Um, what I think, you know, met the threshold for doing an index with Bloomberg after that, in terms of taxonomy, we did a DeFi index this summer. I think that was really great to see Bloomberg moving into the DeFi space. And I think that credentialized uh, DeFi in a big way. I think this year and next, DeFi is going to have a really interesting growth trajectory. Um, and then we're working on a Web3 index right now. And so if you think about large cap crypto plus DeFi plus Web3, you know, broadly, that's a good framework. Certainly, there are idiosyncratic deals and ideas and things that are coming down the pipes. But I think that from a coin perspective, you can really keep it simple at those high levels and then understand there is this stable coin, central bank, digital currency issue that's separate from, you know, cryptocurrencies where you make money, but is really important to the bigger picture that lives outside of that taxonomy, which is more financial instrument oriented. Yeah, and also some of the other things that you mentioned, uh, Web3, NFTs, the metaverse, how does that fit in uh, to the taxonomy? Well, we don't know yet, to be honest, uh, but but I have, I mean, we have some hunches and, and you know, part of, uh, I mentioned I was at a, I started a VR company before uh, before Galaxy, and so I, I'm not a VR uh, uh, expert uh, per se, but I have a little bit of experience, and I, I think, to me, what crypto has been missing is a killer app that is... Um, broadly uh, usable by the masses. I think we're getting there with NFTs and I think NFTs are really the thing that opens the door to Web3. Once we start to understand what a non-fungible token is, what it means from the perspective of everything from uh, uh, your healthcare records to your own social media identity, to your ability to chase the provenance of your own creative work um, and, and everything in between, uh, you can understand how the entire architecture of the internet, which has gotten to a place that I don't think anyone thinks is, is good for society, right? I, have, right? I have a daughter, I don't want her to grow up in the world where she's the product her whole life. I think these are the beginnings of the capabilities that will allow for Web3 to emerge. So it's a buzzword, everyone's very excited about it. It's still early, but this intersection between um, owning your own identity, data and, and content Coming, coming to uh, the world at a time where immersive software and the digital representation of the physical space that we live in is becoming more normalized and, and able to be accessed in a simple way through technology, those two things coming together creates an entirely new paradigm, albeit one that'll take five or 10 years to play out at scale. So, I don't, so, so the, the coin aspect and the taxonomy of the space, uh, this is still more of a venture and growth equity bet, if that makes sense, as opposed to a public market coin, you know, throw it in an index bet. Um, broadly speaking, there's some overlap, but broadly speaking, I think of them slightly separate, but there's going to be that singularity over time. Yeah, by the way, talking of taxonomies and bucketing, uh, give us a sense of who your clients are in terms of the broad functional buckets that they fall into. Sure, yeah, I, th I think there are, um, there are really a, a couple of big buckets. One is the institutional allocator community, which is $100 trillion plus. And I, I understand uh, the cryptos, uh, crypto natives uh, view that, you know, hey, screw the man, we don't need the, you know, the institutions, but I want to remind that community, these are pensions that are managing people's, uh, you know, retirement money uh, and, and foundations that are donating these gains to really worthy causes. So that allocator community is a huge 
part of the, you know, the way the world works. And it broadly hasn't come into crypto. I know there are surveys that suggest otherwise, but we haven't seen $10 trillion come in or $5 trillion come in. Mm. That's a big community. The wealth, and it's, I think 2022 is a very big year for that community, and I can explain that. The wealth community is give or take 50 trillion, maybe more or less, depending on how you think about it. Um, also has intermediaries, whether it's the Goldman's or the Morgan Stanley's or the Vamels of the world that have bank platforms. There's someone that does operational due diligence. There's a risk committee. Uh, there's investment diligence. All of those processes have to be worked through. And we just started to see the dam break for that about a year ago. We were the first uh, to be on Morgan Stanley's platform with our Bitcoin fund. And now every one of the major platforms either has a product for crypto or is building product to live on the shelf for their wealthy clients. That's going to continue to be a, a very big driver of flows to the venture, hedge fund, and passive portions of the space. So we're very active there. And I think the retail bucket is interesting. Um, again, there's a crypto native way to think about that. If you can access crypto directly, why do you need funds? Well, the world still engages with ETFs. I believe in a future where token is the, tokenized uh, funds are the, the, the right structure and where direct crypto is the right structure. On-chain asset management's a, a buzzword. But for the next five years, we're still going to live in this ETF world. And so in Canada, we have uh, a large partnership with CI. We manage over a billion of AUM across two ETFs. Um, we're waiting on the U.S. side. We're working with regulators and, and trying to push the envelope. We have a partnership with Invesco there. And I think the important thing to know about that part of our business is we're not so egotistical that as Galaxy, we can be crypto fund managers, crypto subject matter experts, and we can go sell ETFs and market ETFs. We'll find a partner to do that so that collectively we can have the biggest impact on the world and get crypto even more into the discussion and more broadly distributed across different pockets of capital. Yeah. How do these folks think about sizing other than uh, if they're talking to Galaxy Digital, they don't want to be on zero any longer? You know, Mike, Mike has a good Mike has a good analogy. If crypto is two trillion and the world's 400 plus trillion, uh, if you're not uh, if you're not at 50 bips, you're short you're, and, and being and no decision is a decision. So I, I, I like that as a mental model. The global index is, is at 50 bips for crypto and it's going to. You know, if you're underwriting crypto in a portfolio, you're saying uh, two trillion is supposed to become 10 trillion. So over the next three or four years, we're underwriting a 5x return in exchange for volatility. That's why I think it's a fair starting point. Um, what we've observed, however, is that those who start there very quickly and, and perhaps outside of their own risk parameters come to get very excited about taking bigger positions and doing more in the space. And I think what we've seen in the last three months, and this gets to sizing, is, oh, my God, this is like technology, which used to be a bucket, but is now everything. Technology is integrated in every bucket of investable uh, assets uh, globally. Right. Crypto might be the same way. So maybe it's not even an asset class. Maybe it's embedded in everything. And if that's the case, not only do we have to play offense, we have to play defense because we have a lot of companies in our equity portfolio that will be disintermediated. How does DeFi impact traditional finance? How does stable coins affect money? It's almost such a big problem that you're just sort of on the ropes as an allocator saying, I, I, I can't engage with that because it's too much uh, to yeah. think about. But once you see that, you can't unsee it and you have to start to do something. Yeah, talking of risk, uh, I know one of the questions that you must get is, tell me about your operational risk in this space. People must be uh, skeptical, uh, nervous even about the custody aspect of it, some of the other back office plumbing things. Tell us about how you yeah. guys think about that and how you explain it to clients. 
Well, I'm most proud of this uh, piece of our business uh, because it's it's the it's the thing that has held us back from many AUM commercial opportunities that I described earlier. But it's the thing that we didn't cut any corners on. So there there are certain principles. Um, number one, we have to have qualified custodians. Uh, number two, we have to have blue chip service providers. Number three, we've we've got crypto people, but we've also got traditional world people who have been in fiduciary seats before who not only understand but embrace those principles and who do put the client first in terms of finding the right ways to uh, think about these issues. As an example, crypto custody. In all of our funds, we have a multi-custodian model. In other words, we will have more than one custodian in, in every fund, even a single asset Bitcoin fund. That's very conservative. Uh, why do we do that? We do that because it's so early that what if there's an outage? We need a place to, to go somewhere else. It's sort of like a prime brokerage model. You need to think about counterparty risk as you think about your custodians, even if they're qualified custodians. So all of this is part of the discussion. Um, we've invested extremely heavily in finance operations, legal compliance in terms of the back end of our business. Uh, we're continuing to invest there. And you know we're proud to have, for instance, a Mercer approved operational due diligence uh, sort of back office outfit. I think that's unique to the crypto space. We're going through multiple consultant processes right now. We've, yeah. we've done that with Wealth Platform. So there's an external validation of that model that's playing out right now. It's a prerequisite to anyone coming into the space. And the way we talk about it is there are three buckets of risk, market risk, counterparty risk, and operational risk. The market risk of crypto is exciting enough. <laughs> you don't need to take all three of those things on at the same time. Galaxy, because of its footprint as a company uh, and its capitalization, has small counterparty risk compared to the crypto space. And on the operational risk side, we do all the things I mentioned. So we've minimized that as best we possibly can. Let's focus on the market risk and, and really make that your problem, not the whole, the whole platform of problems. Yeah. What, what does that uh, service provider ecosystem look like right now? dramatically different than, than three or four years ago. Uh, you know, it, it's, um, it's, it's, it's almost, I haven't really hit pause to think about it, but when I think about how hard it was uh, to get those first service providers in, and now I think about how many uh, options we have as a fund manager, we just went through a custody review with our back office and just looking at the, the quality, uh, the insurance uh, capabilities that you can now wrap on top of the custody piece, uh, all of the big names, every single one of the big names, whether it's uh, fund admin or whether it's uh, 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 tax, whether it's audit, whether it's legal, they're all either in the space or racing to catch up to get in the space. And right. I think that that is, you know, that is the biggest leading indicator of institutional capital coming in at scale that you could possibly have for the crypto space and for the crypto community to understand that uh, is really important, I think. And from the outside, it seems like that ecosystem has just evolved at lightning speed. Yeah, it, it has. And, and, and look, we had this institutional FOMO thesis two years ago. And the point was, um, once, once it goes, and I mean that from a service provider perspective, but also from an allocation of capital perspective, once you see a big pension with a consultant behind them go fully into the space, what people don't understand is that all the other pensions and endowments have crypto nuts who have done the work, who have went to their committee, and it's sort of this you know, classic standoff where everyone's, well, let's see what everyone else is doing. And once the dam gets broken, it's not gonna be a linear sort of dollar that comes in, it's gonna be the floodgates opening. That same dynamic just happened on the service provider side. It became a competitive disadvantage overnight to not have crypto capabilities. Yeah. And two years ago, that was exactly flipped. 
well, right. why should we do this? It's dangerous. And now that, that whole psychology and, and uh, sort of business planning has changed. So we talked a little bit about the functional buckets that the asset falls into. Talk to me a little bit about how that interfaces with the strategies. Sure. Um, well, I think the biggest thing to understand and, and, and one of the reasons, you know, people say, well, you know, you guys all came from Fortress and, uh, and Hybridge and other places. Why, why, you know, you must be a hedge fund. Uh, and we weren't a hedge fund. And, and, and the reason that we weren't a hedge fund in terms of our, our fund product to the world is that we didn't think that a hedge fund really made sense. Again, as a fiduciary, do you charge two and 20 to a client to hold Bitcoin? A lot of funds did. Uh, you know, we didn't feel good about that. And so the way we approached the market two or three years ago from a product perspective was really bifurcated. On the one hand, this is a venture bet. And on the other hand, it's a passive beta play. And if we were talking to a client, then we would say, put, you know, X amount here, Y amount there, set it and forget it. We'll talk to you in three years on that. You'll probably be happy with the results. So that was that was our sort of play where we've come to in the last year and a half because of that COVID catalyst because of the palette extending across all those different verticals and taxonomy of the space, and importantly, because of the depth of the markets, not just the breadth. So it's the breadth and the depth of the markets in terms of liquidity. We are for the first time um, uh, leaning very hard into things like a fund of funds model and a, a, a liquid active model, because we think alpha can start to be uh, not only generated, but generated in nuanced ways. There's quant funds, there are fundamental funds. Um, there are, uh, you know, uh, directional and, and non-directional quant. Um, there's all kinds of different ways to think about playing the space. Coin picker funds that are long only. You didn't have that, uh, what's the word, the, the, the scalpel-based approach to express, expressing an investment strategy a year ago. And the talent's coming in and the capital's coming in. So on a two, three, four-year basis, I'm wildly bullish that whole guts of the asset class growing out, that whole hedge fund liquid risk piece, which has been really where most allocators would probably feel comfortable starting, right? You put a lot of your funny stuff in the hedge fund bucket if you're, if you're a pension or an endowment and foundation, but there hasn't really been a great scaled hedge fund solution in crypto. There are some really good ones that are scaling now, but broadly speaking, we haven't been there. And so I think that's the thing I'm most excited about is that, that middle portion of the asset class and the next couple of years is going to be very strategically focus uh, driven uh, for us to be adding product and, and telling that story. The other thing, it's not, it's, it's not, it's, it's not a beta trade anymore, right? So if you missed Ethereum for 5X, it doesn't mean uh, Ethereum can't go up another 3, 4, 5X, but you have the law of large numbers starting to kick in and you have to start to think about how do we play a cycle? And that's where yeah. hedge funds make a lot of sense. Yeah, so how do you think about that? How do you think about the cycle? How do you think about the return profile? Uh, it's it's a great point, and I, I think for the first time you can you can think about subcycles within crypto. In other words, I, I would argue that the uh, you know the the growth curve for uh, the the ETH Solana Cardano you know bucket is different than the growth curve for Bitcoin, which is different than the growth curve for uh, the metaverse. And and on some level, you've got perhaps a crypto beta that lives on top of that. If if Bitcoin goes down fifty or sixty percent, I think it's crazy to think that wouldn't have a spillover effect. But I do think that the yeah. the education is starting to have people think about that a little bit differently. Um, it, what, what's interesting about the moment that we live in today is that you've had such a big run up. So the, the, the human mind says, well, there must be a mean reversion because there has to be because it went up so much. And, you know, that's somewhat intellectually lazy. I don't I don't disagree that that's a risk. Of course, it's a risk. We've seen a sell off in the last two months. 
But I think what's on the other side of that risk is this wall of capital that I've been talking about. And I think that wall of capital, it's price agnostic to a point. If we drop 80%, I don't think you see the pensions come in because they step back and wait. But I think everyone understands that volatility of that 80 vol instrument. You're going to have these pockets this way. And if a wall of money is coming into the space over the next 12 to 18 months, maybe we can have a tactical bear market, but we're not going to have the situation where uh, 2 trillion goes to 500 billion. We're going to have much more likely 2 trillion going to 4 or 5 trillion. So the way I think about it from a bit, some a business strategy perspective, the five-year things that I'm working on now are the most exciting things I've ever worked on in my career. And they're real and they're happening. And so I sort of look through this next 12 months. I, I don't know exactly where the world goes. We may, we may be sort of in a, in a middle band for a while, but I do feel very strongly that the structural bull market, uh, which is talent-based, capital-based, and then really the growing up of the entire space, those are all happening uh, in spades and it's not slowing down on any of those fronts. So as you look across those five-year time horizons, what is it that has you most excited? Man, well, maybe I'll tell a personal story. So my 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 grandpa uh, is a wasn't was an artist, uh, a poor artist, a refugee artist, and every year since he died, my dad has built a Christmas card, a physical Christmas card with, you know, one of his works on the front. And what we partnered on uh, for this year's Christmas card, uh, we we did the physical card, but we actually made an NFT, uh, and we had a QR code on the inside of that. Um, I've talked about crypto a lot for four years. To be able to use, not use crypto in a DeFi sense, go buy an NFT, you know, that, that, that's fine too. That's great. But to be able to use it in this context and, and have a different medium to express art that's personally relevant to my family and me, that's exciting. And it was, you know, it wasn't perfect. I still had to set up, you know, a, a few things. I don't think the average person who doesn't know crypto would have a seamless time doing that. But the fact that we could cobble it together and get it done with my dad and me, that's what gets me excited. That happening at scale, whatever that means for the world and however the world chooses to embrace this technology, that's the zero to one that, that will make me sort of look back and say, I'm really glad I was a part of that. Right. Yeah. So on the flip side of the coin, uh, tell us a little bit about the cost structure right now in investing in this space. Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's, um, Cost is, there's a couple ways to think about cost. On some level, uh, you know, the cost of doing it yourself without any help, um, while better than before. So I, I do think, you know, direct access and custodial offerings are really high quality and that reflects the growth of the space. There are, you know, it's, it's still a bit of adult swim only, right? If you have a MetaMask wallet, you know, and you don't have your seed phrase because, you know, that, that's still a problem. It's a real problem. And so, I, and taxes are still a real problem. And, you know, if you're trading ETH to wrapped ETH to, you know, buy an NFT and you haven't talked to a tax person about that and you've made a lot of money and, you know, there's, there's just parts of this that haven't become streamlined uh, that may not be, uh, the costs of which may not be immediately obvious to people. I think your question was about more about fees and, and paying for access. I think what we saw in Canada as we built the ETFs is very instructive. A year and a half ago with CI, our partner, we had uh, a bunch of closed-end funds and they were sitting, all of those closed-end funds, plus or minus one to 2%. As soon as the ETF wrapper was possible, uh, we were the most aggressive on price with CI. We, we came down to 40 basis points. That's great for investors. You're, you're talking about the pricing relative to the reference asset. Uh, correct. Yeah. So you, you it, exactly a Bitcoin ETF with CI Galaxy or a, a an ETH ETF with CI Galaxy is is 40 basis points, and you get access one to one to the to the to the underlying. So you compare that to the other wrappers, 
you know, whether it's 2% for the trust structures in the US or, uh, you know, one to 2% for the, the, the uh, closed end funds, the, the innovation uh, around product wrapper is, is necessarily driving price lower like it has forever and in traditional markets. That's a really positive sign. And then as you move to these more complex strategies, whether it's a market neutral fund of funds or a venture fund of funds or a venture fund, I think you're, you're going to see the market rates that are standard in the world start to set hold one in 10, two in 20. And that makes sense. You should pay for lower volatility and for alpha, and then you should pay a low amount uh, for beta. And, you know, that starts to look uh, more like the traditional world. Um, you know, may, maybe over time, because of the nature of crypto, when you get to decentralized on-chain asset management solutions, the market will drive the price and you'll have further compression. I don't think we're there yet. I think that's many years away. We have to solve some tech problems and some regulatory problems. But for the right. next two or three years, for the first time, it'll look really, really similar, I think, to the traditional world, which is good. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. So, so what are some of these problems that you're working on right now that you feel are most relevant to be solved in order to continue to expand uh, institutional access to digital assets? Well, if we're, I mean, the first problem is access. It, it just, it, it is, right? And, and, and just to give the, the you know, the, a little more texture to that, um, if you talk to, let's say you have a $300 million fund and someone wants to put $100 million into that fund, it doesn't matter that you have world-class performance or three years of track record or great operational due diligence they may have a risk limit that's 10% or 20% of the fund, you still can't deploy $100 million as a large investor to most crypto funds because of that size dynamic. So you know, part of this is building things that are not only robust and institutional grade, but are scaled enough that you can get the biggest uh, tail of scale, which is those big investors. So that's one. It's products that, are, that have track records that grow, that make sense, that do what they say they're going to do, and that are at a certain scale. Um, I think you know service providers. We're doing a great job on. Um, I do think that uh, the biggest the biggest real issue is uh, regulatory for sure, and just the confusion yeah. around what that is and what it isn't, and what it needs to be for different investments. So that's that's one piece that we're very very focused on is regulatory. Yeah. And when you think about DeFi and um, sort of on chain asset management, AML KYC and crypto native solutions to AML KYC is a very, very important piece of the puzzle. So I'd probably highlight those right. two. How do you operate, by the way, in this sort of very nebulous regulatory environment that we find ourselves in? Conservatively, you know, it's, uh, you know, if you, um, and we're, we have great, not only external legal advisors, but internal legal advisors. And, you know, we've had situations where something in one of our funds risked becoming a security. Uh, we had a process for that. We've got a risk committee. It got kicked out of the index. It got kicked out of the fund. And you know that was a really good risk uh, example to show to investors, this is how we think about this. And we're monitoring this stuff actively. Um, there are many places we haven't gone in the crypto space with our funds for that very same reason. And so what we're, pr what we're proud of is uh, picking our spots uh, where we have regulatory clarity enough that we can have an institutional product that work also makes investors feel comfortable when they say, hey, why aren't you doing that? We say, for these reasons, they say, oh, great. 
I'm glad I didn't go do that somewhere else, you know, because that would have that would have potentially caused us a problem. And I don't believe in the tech uh, ethos of move fast and break things in this context, because I think if you blow up a public pension because you didn't give them good advice or if you did something stupid in your fund that flows through to all your investors, you've just done the entire space a disservice. Right. All, not only are the consultants and the other peers of theirs going to see that that's going to be a real multi-year stain on the industry. And I don't want to see that happen to the industry. So I think we've we've taken a conservative approach. We want to be great actors in the space. And importantly, through our, our multi-manager fund of funds business, we're setting operational due diligence standards for the space, right? We, we have standards that funds who want our capital need to adhere to. And while we may compete with them in other contexts, we're making everyone better on that front. And I think it's a really good thing um, because it'll avoid some of those uh, potential pitfalls. We were talking a little bit off camera, Steve, about the generational aspects of the system as, that are in place right now and how the world is changing. How do you think crypto interfaces with that? And what's some of the potential here to make the world a better place? I mean, it's, it's a great question. Um, the obvious answer starts with, uh, the, the obvious crypto answer is financial inclusion, which, which is totally right. There's no reason we shouldn't have global 24 seven markets. We shouldn't have flat fractional ownership. We shouldn't exclude 3 billion plus people in the world uh, with our banking system, just because we're worried about uh, not controlling every piece of the global economy. There's gotta be a better way to, to calibrate that and maintain right you know, all the principles that make the US great. I'm, I'm, I'm confident that we can come up with those answers. I think it's more than just that. I think it's, um, I think it's about what we talked about earlier. Uh, it's about uh, owning your own identity. It's about, when you say taking out the middleman, um, that, that has a certain sort of proletariat uh, appeal to it and, and it's emotional and political that way. I think if you soften that a bit, and, and, and said it's about people maximizing their own potential and being able to uh, really own what they create. Uh, and if you think about creation as what's driven human, uh, humans forward, uh, contrary to other species, and, and if we can maximize and leverage that creative potential through crypto blockchain web three, which I think is immensely possible, um, you know, it might be the thing that pulls more people out of poverty than, than anything else in human history, but we have to have the courage to recognize that and to not view it through a myopic lens, um, you know, which could mean U.S. versus the rest of the world. It could be Republicans versus Democrats. I honestly feel that our generation, you know, anyone who's sort of under 40, uh, not, not to, you know, <laughs> pick on any particular age, isn't going to take that. I don't I don't think I, I think that I think that um, there is a revolutionary feeling of the early 20s that work at Galaxy that just sort of says, I don't care about red and blue. I, I care even less about U.S. and other countries as I did. I, I care about, you know, doing what I'm passionate about, building things that, that are that are great and that fix problems. And I think crypto is uh, is is a is a big piece of that puzzle. And I think there are many other pieces of the puzzle um, that need to come on board with that. But I think the, the the big thrust of crypto over the next five years from the bottom up with the right. really young guys that are driving stuff forward has that at its core. And that leaves me extremely optimistic about what we can do with that raw material to, to implement some of that change. Yeah. So as we all strive uh, for that in the longer term, as you look ahead uh, to 2022 in the shorter term, what are the goals uh, for Galaxy Digital and where are you guys headed? 
Sure. So I look, Galaxy Digital needs to, um, and and obviously, you know, we are a public company, but it, it's 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 uh, public that we are uh, attempting to move to the Nasdaq. So we'd, we'd like to get that done. Uh, it's public that we're attempting to integrate BitGo as a custodian. So we'd like to get that done. Um, and and I think we need to uh, continue to uh, keep the pace of the space in a responsible way. Uh, we need to layer in uh, staking services and build out our mining platform and offer more asset management products and all the things that we're already doing. Great. That's what we're going to do more of, and we're going to be integrated and, and global. Uh, we need to be a real thought leader on the regulatory piece. 2022 is all about regulatory, but also politics. You're seeing the Ohio Senate race has a Republican and a Democrat pro-crypto candidate. Uh, the yeah. Senate infrastructure bill really, really changed the game and the narrative in D.C. around crypto and woke up politicians to the reality that tens of millions of Americans like this and use it and that it's generational. That's a, vo a voting block. So the politics, the regulatory side uh, is really important to us uh, in 2022. Um, and I, I think, you know, I think the, the storytelling that we started with at the beginning of this, right? How do we pull all this together in a way that's comprehensive and can be leveraged to different pieces of the world? That's what Galaxy, that's our role. That's our mission is to be able to do that well, to make sense out of a really complicated space, to demystify the complexity. Um, that's more important than ever as we see the space go like this, because all of it's not going to be good. All of it's not going to be bad. Some of right. it's going to be around forever. It is complicated. We really need to be able to break that down and, and push those messages out thoughtfully. Steve, as we come to the conclusion of this conversation, final thoughts, key takeaways for our audience. Well, I guess, you know, depending on where you are uh, from, from the audience perspective, uh, I certainly think the only, it's not just getting investment exposure. Sure, you, you need to do that. You should be off of zero. You know, Bitcoin, Ethereum are great ways to start as an example. Um, go buy an NFT, you know. It, it, once, once you figure out, once you set up a MetaMask wallet or a Coinbase wallet or whichever you feel comfortable using and you go to OpenSea, find something you like. My daughter loves pudgy penguins. So we, <laughs> full disclosure, I own a public pudgy penguin. It's not a, it's not a pump for the project. My, my daughter just loved the penguin JPEG. Go through that process. That will be a great way, uh, a training wheels way to understand how does DeFi work? How does an NFT work? Maybe you'll get on one of the discords tied to one of your communities and you'll see what's coming up in the project and you can understand the communal aspects, uh, what's a DAO, right? That'll lead you into the crypto rabbit hole. Uh, I think that the key takeaway is if you don't roll your sleeves up and do that, it's sort of like not having, remember when AOL Instant Messenger came out? You know, you want an AOL Instant Messenger because everyone else does. We're, we're in the second inning of that. Right. Go ahead and make that investment of time because you're, you're going to be able to um, then keep pace as the next level of the NFT revolution takes hold and you'll be able to speak some of the language. So my main message is just engage with it a little bit, have an open mind, flip from why shouldn't this exist to why should it exist? Just as a thought exercise, I think that's a great way to, to, to approach it. And if you have kids, talk to your kids because they probably know more about it than you think. <laughs> Very well said, Steve. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. I appreciate the time. Thanks for watching everyone. Hey there, since you got to the end, I'm guessing you liked the video. And that's probably because we don't just turn on a camera and film. We work really hard on getting the narrative flow just right. And that's why many finance companies are actually now hiring Real Vision to make videos for them. One of our recent client videos just hit 100,000 organic views on YouTube, and there were no kittens in sight.
So if you want to find out how Real Vision can make a video for your company, just email us at customvideo at realvision.com.